0: Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Kantar and Said Business School, University of Oxford. In each episode, we speak to industry experts about the changing landscape of marketing, sharing evidence and inspiration for the future. I'm Jane Osler, Global Head of Media, Insights Division of Kantar. Our guest today is Daniel Todaro, who is founder and managing director of Gecko Group, which is a retail marketing agency. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hi,
1: I'm good. I'm very good. Thanks, Jane.
0: So tell us a bit more about uh, your background and about Gecko Group.
1: My business basically works with technology brands predominantly. We do do some FMCG. Historically, everything that we've done has been consumer electronics. My background has been marketing across many different categories, which included FMCG, so I understood that. But on the advent of technology and when we were bringing computers into the home and um, working on digital switchover and all of those great and interesting things, you know, like Sky TV and launching Sky Digital, we realised and recognised that there was a niche in the market for an agency that could focus and specialise purely on consumer electronics. And that is very much where the heart of Gecko is.
0: What is it that you do? You train retail store staff to explain complicated products and services to consumers. Is that some of what you do?
1: Yeah, in essence, it is exactly what we do. I mean, this is a considered purchase space. So when you go out to buy a computer or go to buy a television in any country, anywhere in the world, you know, you will have done some research. This is a considered purchase in that you're not going to spend your hard earned cash on impulse, as you may do if you were purchasing chocolate or clothing, etc. So we have to recognise that the consumer will have done their research and there is a budget, a budget which they want to spend. But more importantly, it's about how that customer journey transfers from what they see online, what they see advertising above the line, and what that journey looks like for them when they hit the shop floor and the engagement that they receive on the shop floor. So that could be from very basic merchandising and seeing your product live on the shop floor, working, fully demoed, ticketed. Clean and tidy, with no buttons or knobs falling off, etc. So you're immediately engaging with the brand and the product as soon as you step into the store. And then that journey continues through to the advice that maybe you've received from a retail store advisor, and also as well the manner in which they engage with you to not only sell you that product, but perhaps sell you the features and benefits of the product to make. A greater, if you like, we talk about average basket values and increasing average basket values. What we want to try and do is increase for the retailer and the brand the average basket value of everything that they sell.
0: Okay, so we're in interesting times at the moment as various lockdowns around the world start to end we've seen in our research that there are increasing comfort levels with going back to shops and offices and schools and hairdressers and all of those different places what do you see in in your sector about the willingness to go back to the high street and how retailers are starting to prepare for that
1: Retail, I think, has really jumped up and began to change really listening and responding to the consumer and what the consumer wants. And there's an awful lot of research out there which has told us what it is that the consumer wants and how they want their environment to be. But ultimately, what we've seen through this this particular lockdown. And we, you know, we learned lessons from when we reopened previously. So we already kind of knew what we needed to do and how we needed to prepare and engage with consumers. But what we're seeing now is a real pent up demand for people to go out there and spend. Online was great, it was that quick fix that when we wanted to do a bit of retail therapy, we would nip online and buy something. But what we lost immediately was that sensory touch and feel and experience that you get when you walk into a store. It's easy to click, it's easy to pay and have these brown boxes dropped on our doorstep, but it takes away from that entire brand experience, but also as well the customer journey that you would like to create with somebody so that they actually buy into the brand as opposed to just buy the product. So I think from a retail perspective, what we're going to see is a huge amount of change in experience in creating that experience for consumers. And we'll see the way in which stores will lay out, navigate, move people around. Obviously, we don't need to talk about the standard stuff like demarcation lines and sanitization. Naturally, that's all going to happen and every retailer is going to do that. But it's the way in which they do that to make the shopping experience not as intrusive as it could be when it was, you know, when we first reopened. We can be more relaxed about the manner in which we now invite people back into store.
0: And I think in in some countries as well, the mere fact of some of the population or sectors of the population being vaccinated will provide some sort of comfort level for consumers. And our research also shows that there is growing confidence amongst older shoppers in particular, that's a, a UK data point, and that that will mean some kind of surge in spending. That's obviously across various different categories. What do you think about people's attitudes and behaviours about going back into stores I and mean, we've talked about sanitation and hygiene being sort of a basic must in store but do you think retailers are ready to change the experience or, or is it just a matter of spacing people out a little bit more for now?
1: The clever retailers are already doing that they're changing and a lot of the changes that we're going to see I think will be permanent I don't think there'll be temporary changes they've realised there's an opportunity here to change the way in which they create theatre and display the product back to their consumers. And I think that's one great thing. You know, every business has had to change over this last year, and we've changed so much, much faster than we would have ever done. It doesn't matter which industry you're in, we've all been forced to change the way in which we do things. Retail has always been a very dynamic industry. It's probably one of the most dynamic industries out there. In that consumer trends change, age groups change, in the habits and manner in which they want to buy and engage. So retail has always been at the forefront of understanding that they always have to appeal and change. So that dynamism is still there, I feel. Maybe what they've had to do is the speed of change has had to be a bit quicker. And in some instances, it's a bit quick and dirty. But what we're seeing is a lot of the confident retailers begin to find their voice, begin to find what it is that they're all about now and how they're going to navigate their way in this this new journey, if you like, this renaissance for retail, which for some brands will definitely happen. Again, what we're seeing is that with the pent-up demand people want to spend. And we know in certain age groups, there is a real desire for them to, to spend the money that they've saved. And we're seeing that amongst Gen Z. We're seeing that they are the ones that really want to go out there and splurge because... From their perspective, yeah, it's been great, as we've already said on the online piece, shopping online, but they now want to go out and experience that with their friends and enjoy retail in its truest sense in you know, what it enables them to do as a day out.
0: Our data shows that obviously certain categories are benefiting hugely at the moment. So things like outdoor living, things like furniture and barbecues, you know, the sales of those kinds of products are are rising and that's UK data. I'm just thinking about the technology category and the consumer experience there as technology plays an ever important part in our lives and homes are ever more important as a base for doing things. But how does that change for Technology retailers, how do they have to look at the retail experience now, given that technology plays an ever more important part in our lives and, in particular, home technology as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've all changed the way in which we live, we've all changed the way in which we utilise our homes. You know, we have spent an inordinate amount of time at home now, so we've had to entertain ourselves, whether it be on a multiple You know, different devices or screens. Streaming is a great example of where we have spent and dedicated the vast majority of our time, as is gaming. We've never seen gaming grow as much as it has over this period, and it's looking to grow. The beauty of that, though, is what it's actually had is a knock on effect on TV sales, where now people are actually wanting to upgrade more than they ever were before. To buy something bigger and a little bit more sleek that will, you know, blend into their surroundings, etc. Whereas before people may have thought that they didn't want to have such a big ostentatious TV. Now that they've spent a year at home, they've decided we definitely do need a big TV. And it's not just because there's a sporting event happening this year, it's because of the gaming and the way in which it's become the hub of the home and people view. And I think as well, technology brands have really embraced the way in which we adapted to our home incorporating more smart technology into you know our domestic appliances like cookers fridges etc but also as well we've become more conscious of the fact that we need to monitor our usage in energy so we're seeing smart thermostats go up in price we're starting to see people install more smart light bulbs because they want to reduce their electricity costs So the brands that are playing within that smart home category are also seeing some growth. Now, from a retailer perspective, what you want to do is embrace that. You want to embrace that growth and be able to make sure that when your consumer comes into store, they are actually seeing the products that they want to see, that the people are talking about, that their friends perhaps have bought and installed. And health and fitness is another area you know, where we've seen exponential growth. We've all now taken more of an interest. I mean, I think we're all you know, bored of walking, and um, We've done a lot of walking over this last year, but we've increased our opportunity to exercise, whether that be because we're offsetting the amount that we eat and we drink, or whether it's given us more free time to be able to go out and do the things that we enjoy doing. But what we have seen is you know, fitness devices, whether it be trackers, watches, et cetera, we've seen that growth in that market. And again, from a retailer perspective, and from the good retailers in the consumer electronics sector, they will make the most of that and make sure that perhaps that product or that category is brought to the front of the store as opposed to the back of the store. They make more of its dual siting and placement within those stores. And perhaps as well, they create more of an experiential feel um, for the consumer so that they can, you know, not only touch and feel, but perhaps even experience what it will do and how it will add value to their daily life. So I think there are some positive things that have come out from this pandemic. But from a retail perspective, it's about hooking on to those things that people have now began to appreciate a little bit more or feel that they need within within their homes and them to fulfil the way in which they want to live moving forward.
0: Your particular area of business is also involves retail training as well as the marketing aspect so that training I would assume used to happen primarily face-to-face in groups with you know exercises and and that sort of thing for for store staff to learn and how to demonstrate products how has your business changed in the last year because presumably some of what you do or most of what you do has had to move online like many other things.
1: Absolutely everything. I mean we didn't close the doors on Gecko when we, we closed the office. We were, if anything, exceptionally busy in creating different ways in which we can still engage with our retailers and our retail store advisors. And the variety of teams that we work with across multiple brands were looking at ways in which we can engage with those people through, you know, online and how we engage with them through our engagement platform. So where we were bringing people, inviting them onto a platform to continue learning. But it's also about making sure that we had the right voice and the tone. It had to reflect the brand. It had to reflect the pace and the energy in which we wanted to communicate. So it wasn't a one size fits all. So we had lots and lots of different things that we were doing out there to engage and make it interesting whether it be from an almost guerrilla marketing activity where we would work against the competitors launch date and do something fun and exciting online to continue in the education piece but still rewarding individuals for them coming online and and, and learning so our business had to change dramatically from something that was you know 90 percent face to face flipped immediately to almost hundred percent virtual while still actively out there selling but we also as well did what we call digital merchandising you know we created new services like that where we looked at the customer journey online for our brands you know as they were moving from physical retail and moving online they were still perhaps going to buy a fridge freezer they were going to buy a smart device they were going to buy a tv so it's certain brands what we did is we started to look at that digital journey and understanding how the retailer from an omni-channel perspective but also as well a pure online retailer was actually effectively merchandising their product online what were we seeing where was it positioned When we did the search, when we entered that search name or reference or category, where did we appear and how well were we actually being served from the perspective? I could put in laptop, but from my perspective, the laptop that I particularly want may have been 20 rows down as opposed to, you know, it was below the fold as opposed to above the fold. And it was how did we bring that back up, engaging with the retailer to help them understand that now is the time for you guys to be able to get this right, to continue that momentum of sales and growth and still do it with these brands that consumers want.
0: And in some ways I suppose applying some of the techniques from, you know, bricks and mortar retail to, to online.
1: Absolutely. And I think from an omnichannel perspective, for those retailers, you know, it's really, really important. We saw the the growth, you know, it flipped overnight, but then their platforms weren't able to cope. So again, and they didn't change the layout, they didn't change the structure. So again, it was kind of helping them understand that now we need to react and change this, create, but continue that customer journey, albeit online and not physical, it's still a customer journey.
0: Let's move on to the broader topic of responsibility and sustainability. Um, Our research shows that 88% of consumers want brands to help them to be more sustainable and 72% of consumers think that large companies and corporations have a, a role to play in this. So let's just talk about sustainability and retail. How do you think retail brands should be looking to tackle sustainability?
1: Sustainability is something that is going to develop and grow into a more, if you like, it's going to become something that will really determine a purchasing decision especially for, again, Gen Z, you know, and even when we go to Generation Alpha and it's important that we don't forget that group of people, you know, they're 11 years old at the moment and they're consumers, you know, they are the iPad generation that have grown up with a device in their hand and will continue to, their you know, lifestyle Will be very very different to, to how we live but they will also be very very tuned into a brand and the values of a brand i think the brand efficacy is really really important you know you want to know the provenance of where your product is made you want to understand that it's been made ethically and not in a sweatshop you know, we don't even need to go further afield here we are in the uk and we have our own issues on our doorstep with manufacturing and making sure that that's policed because people need to be paid at least the minimum wage but those kind of things can't be brushed under the carpet you know they're really important to generations in understanding how they buy into a brand and I think for most, and there was some research that I think IBM published in that there was, you know, they they claim that 60% of Gen Z said it was possibly the most important factor when purchasing or considering to purchase the brand was the efficacy and the sustainability of that. But then even if we bring it down to the micro level of sustainability, it's how we've shopped online and had our packages, you know, delivered to our house, that package that you bought online has probably traveled, you know, several hundred miles has been handled by several different drivers and been on several different trucks. From that perspective as well, wouldn't it have been easier to just go to the store and buy it there and then and you could have saved on the, you know, your carbon footprint and so on and so forth. And I think, again, it's about educating individuals in that online, there may be convenience there. But what it, does is ultimately it's going to increase your carbon footprint and all of us need to be very conscious of the fact that we should be now lowering that footprint not increasing it because we like the idea of now buying everything online so i think there is a real area here the retailers are going to look at quite seriously but also as well they're going to have to adapt to consumers because it's consumers that ultimately are going to demand that sustainability not only in the manufacture of their products but also the manner in which it's delivered back to them
0: Is there something else as well going on about the importance of local in, you know, shopping local and staying in your locality, which many of us have become used to over the last year? Some of our research shows that actually that's also important for consumers is shopping locally. So how do the bigger chains of retailers cope with that does that mean they're under pressure to open Mm -hmm. ever more stores to simply have the presence and the footfall how do they balance between the efficiency of running a, a large chain of businesses and the need to be local when they need to be omnichannel as well
1: yeah I think it's a really interesting dynamic that's happening out there you know i have changed my shopping habits throughout lockdown. And I have gone local as well and gone to stores that I would never have dreamt of going into before. And we've seen it as well from our own research Mm -hmm. that 53% want to continue going to their local community and their stores because they want to help the community and keep it alive. No one likes Mm seeing vacant units on, on a road. It's not good. And this is where I constantly kind of talk especially when we talk to the independent sector and those stores is that they need to work with their chamber of commerce you need to work with your local town because those bigger stores can help you know encourage the footfall and I think rather than work against each other it's really important that they start working with each other when a supermarket opens or a large store does open on a high street the footfall that it brings is really important to the other retailers around it there is an ecosystem here and it's really important that you don't work against each other, you work with each other to understand how you can make it a more vibrant shopping street because therefore you're all going to gain out of this. But it's interesting to see what some of the multiples have done and how they've adapted and that they've started to look at creating more kind of niche and local things where some stores have started arranging products that have been locally sourced and are unique to that particular area, but then also as well change the initiative. There's one clothing retailer here in the UK who's teamed up with a very large DIY retailer, And they're now for this period, you know, of spring into summer are going to start offering gardening products. That's a fantastic, you know, initiative from their part in that, okay, what we're doing is we're bringing two retailers together that historically would be in very two different locations. One would be on a, you know, on a retail park, another one would be on a high street. And what you're doing is you're merging that and you're bringing the multiple brands to that local audience that want to just pick one thing up and carry it home as opposed to drive to and fill up their boot. So I think there are a lot of different ways in which retailers are working to help that localism, but also as well, the multiple side of it, I think we'll begin to start seeing them change their one store isn't going to necessarily be the same. It's not going to be vanilla. I think we'll start seeing in areas, different apartment stores or different retailers slightly change the nuance towards their local community.
0: So that's really interesting, the point about retail partnerships and collaborations, which could be a sort of, I can see that taking off as a trend. Are there any other future trends in retail that you'd like to mention to wrap us up?
1: I mean, we can't ignore the fact of what Amazon have done with their store, their concept store. It's not a concept store. They've had a few, but the first one here in the UK in Ealing, of which they plan, I think, to have 38 in the UK. And the technology is impressive. the fact that you can walk in and walk out without having to pay all you are paying virtually but you're not physically queuing to pay is an interesting concept. How people respond to that, how other retailers adopt that type of technology in that format is going to be interesting to see. It's early days, it's in its infancy. I think the predominantly the amount of people that I've spoken to that have visited that store in Elon have found it quite clinical. They've found it to be a very different experience. Of course it is, it's new to all of us and we'll all become more and more used to that kind of concept. But I do think perhaps We'll start seeing that that approach, that kind of tap in and tap out approach, where you don't need to queue anymore. Increase. I think what we'll also see as well is the complete reverse, where we'll see people kind of in stores being more able to offer a personal service to consumers where they will start to engage with the consumer to truly understand what it is that they want and be able to offer a service that enables them to perhaps purchase more than one item, a collection, whether it be a new wardrobe, whether it be fitting out a new house, particular room in that house with technology, et cetera. I think there will be a growth market there where we will start seeing retailers tap into, understanding that this isn't just about selling boxes, this is also about selling a service.
0: You've been listening to Future Proof from Kantar and Said Business School. For all episodes and more information, visit kantar.com or oxfordfutureofmarketing.com. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you never miss an episode.